2: Hello and welcome to Writer's Routine This week we're chatting to Kaylin Steed Their new novel is Home, it's out next week We talk about swapping their entire story all around Also how they get by dedicating just one day a week to writing really and the piece of advice that they got from Stephen King that really helped them get on.
1: Writing is not making something up, but it's like discovering something, almost like um, excavating a, a fossil. You know, like you're brushing away dirt, and, and something is there, but it's it's there fully and intact. And writing feels a lot like that for me. I kind of, I feel like I'm kind of like feeling along the shape of something that exists in its entirety already, in a way. Um, So it doesn't feel like I'm making it up. It just feels like I'm kind of discovering it as I go.
2: There is more with Kaylin Steed in this week's Writer's Routine. Mm -hmm. Yes, welcome along. It's Writer's Routine. This is the show where we take a look through an author's working day. It's really simple. We have a look at where they write, when they write if they've given much thought to where and when they write, what they do that gives an idea the best chance of getting down onto the page and then hopefully published. This week, it's Kaylin Steed. They've written short stories and audio dramas. They were the winner of the 2020 Pen to Print Audio Play Award. And then they decided that they wanted to write a novel. We chat about, though, why they went back to school to learn more about novel writing as opposed to just Starting out and, and cracking on. The novel is called Home. It's all about Zoe trying to rescue her sister from a cult that she escaped many years ago. We talk about why Kaylin first had the idea as a teenager, and uh, I mean, at the time when you are a teenager. Most of the ideas you have are huge and high concept. We talk about why young stories start like that, but then they become more real and a bit closer to home as you get older. Also, we talk about plotting a 2 timeline story, why they had to swap the entire thing around. And you can hear why they're interested in the way different people see the world. How much different can it be to our own? So that's on the way. Also, how much they think about the genre of the story. And the big one... Why they really love fonts. That was a big selling point, I think, for me and for Kaylin coming on the show. So it's all in the way and we kick things off chatting about what Kaylin Steed sees around them in the place where they sit down to write.
1: Uh, well, at the moment, I um, we've recently moved into a new house and I tend to write in the living room uh, on our uh, couch. We got an enormous new squashy couch that you just kind of like, sink into. So I just kind of wrap myself in a blanket and sit on the couch with my laptop um, with snacks at hand. And that's pretty much what I see.
2: I, I've i spoken to many authors who like a more structured office space around them, like they're, they're going to work. How do you feel writing, creating, working in a place that you presumably relax in later that night?
1: Um, I think I just kind of cut it out. I kind of zone out um, and just focus on screen and you know like even headphones and things so I don't I don't necessarily kind of pay much attention to my surroundings like I can work in a cafe or library for a long time I didn't have anywhere um within the house that would be a quiet kind of place to work so I did sort of work in all sorts of places so I think I'm just used to zoning out and and just kind of working anywhere
2: what's around you in the room then so you're in this big comfy couch you've just moved in what can you see
1: Uh, We've got a lovely view out the window. There's a field opposite the road with horses in it. And then there's uh, a bit of water beyond that. So it's a a really nice kind of calming view. Anything on the walls? Uh, No, we've just moved in. So uh, all our paintings are still in boxes. (laughs) Uh, So blank white walls. And uh, there's a stove in the corner. Um, So in a chillier day, we'll have the fire on, which is is really nice.
2: Now, if you've just moved in, is this a... A temporary setup for you are you you working towards kind of having a different space or you mentioned that you can write anywhere do you really not care where it is
1: um I have previously two flats ago I had like a little setup um I had my grandfather's old writing desk and you know a little like pin board in front of it and things and in a spare room and I actually didn't use it that much I just sort of ended up on the couch um with a blanket and cushions um so I think I I think I go for like comfort over formality for writing.
2: So it's you. Uh, we get quite like quite into it. Uh, people are very interested in like what you're writing on. Is it just you with the laptop? What software do you kind of use at the moment?
1: Um, so I have a MacBook Air, which is actually my husband's, which he very kindly um, has basically let me completely steal. And I used that and I got Scrivener a wee while ago. Um, I think maybe like a year and a half ago. And I'm a complete convert to it. I really like writing on Scrivener now. Ah,
2: well, that's really good because uh, I'm like the show's quite good friends with Scrivener. And some people have said that they've tried it and it's not quite worked out for them. Now, I don't, now I'm not asking you for the big sell, but talk to me about that that transition. How How is having an actual writing software, it could be Scrivener, it could be many other things. How has that helped the way that you work?
1: um Well, I was working on Word before, and I think when I don't know if it was just my laptop, but when the file got over a certain size I think over like 60 or 70,000 words it just kept crashing. Um, so Scrivener seems to manage large files really well, and then also um, the book I've just written it has two timelines so a then and a now in alternating chapters, and uh, my editor or my agent at one point sort of suggested that I like swap the order of them, which sounds really straightforward, but actually it was a huge headache. And Scrivener made that really easy because I could just shift files around, whereas in Word that would be like copying and pasting huge chunks over and over.
2: It's interesting that a tiny, well, it's not a tiny decision, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's affecting like well, the, the whole book, at least 50% of it. Uh, we'll get to the story later, but upon reflection, why, why do you think your editor wanted to make that change. How did it affect the story as you saw it?
1: Um, it was to change beginning the story with the then timeline instead of the now timeline. So initially I thought of the story as beginning with a character as the adult, um, their adult self, but uh, it was suggested in, in, in retrospect works better when we begin with the character as a child, Um And then that also enables, because of the order of the chapters, also enables the very last chapter to be the character as an adult, which worked well for the story.
2: How do you think that's affected the beginning then? Did it enable you to get like slap bang into it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Useful for kind of like building up a world. And I think it's about um, setting expectations for your reader. So beginning with the adult timeline, it wasn't entirely clear, I suppose, what you know what's what's the action of the story? why do we care about this character going about their day? um whereas beginning with the older timeline, you can kind of see what's happened to that character in the past, and then immediately, when you join them as an adult and they're in quite a different place, it becomes a much more interesting setup um whereas if you just join them as an adult like there's there's not that backstory kind of awareness, I guess
2: yeah so i yeah, I guess you're you're immediately. You're immediately in the situation of what's happened, aren't you? So you've got maybe a greater awareness of what your now character is reflecting on.
1: Yeah, and what's changed in their life. Um, they're in two very different settings. Um, so you're immediately aware that something huge has changed from take them from one place to another, which um, I suppose sets up the question of like, how did they how did they leave that first situation and get into the situation they're in as an adult? Um, so it, it kind of, makes the the initial adult chapter i suppose it, it sets up questions and um gives what initially would be a more everyday activity a bit more kind of tension i suppose
2: and we mentioned that this was easier to do on a writing software because you could just pick and plonk uh was, was it really that straightforward were there a lot of other things that were then impacted because you would swap day and be around almost
1: Oh, yeah, no, I I thought it would be really simple. I sat down to do it in an afternoon and it took me like a week. <laughs> it was it was surprisingly tricky um, because I'd written linearly, so I'd, I'd not written one story strand and then the other. I'd written, you know, then chapter, now chapter, then chapter. So each chapter, although they're set in different times, they kind of set up the next chapter, so they were like similar thematically or something would happen an event that would happen that was similar in both or someone would say something at the end of one chapter and and a similar com- like conversation thread would be picked up in the next one that kind of thing so reversing the order immediately meant all of that stuff didn't make any sense anymore um and had to be rejigged so it was a bit of a bigger job than i'd first first thought it would be it
2: gets a bit like the movie memento doesn't it i guess when it's all out of order um now i'd like to quote you quickly kaylin you were very kind enough to send me a, an email and you said <clears throat> if you have any spots coming up for a new author who has a near maniacal fixation on fonts i'd love to be considered so let's get into it we love 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 fonts on the show uh, some some authors seemingly have never really considered it uh, what what do you use how much uh, how much of a part of your writing does the actual typeface play into it
1: it's like, it's so nice to take the mask off and not pretend to be a person who doesn't care about fonts. Like I can just let the geek, the geek font stuff fly here. This is so exciting. Um, So I do different fonts for like different moods or modes of writing. Um, So uh, if I'm trying to be like really sensible and organized, I'll use like Times New Roman because it seems quite like formal. Um, Garamond, if I'm feeling like quite fancy. Usually for editing. Um, So I've written something and I want to look back over it. Garamond makes it like look better than it is. Um, Ariel or Tahoma or something like Sans Serif. Uh, if I'm doing kind of more relaxed session, this is incredibly nerdy, isn't it? Well,
2: it's not necessarily mer- nerdy, but I mean, you did say a near maniacal fascination, <laughs> and it does it does bring to mind uh, 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 something you might read of a, a madman serial killer in a TV show that's kind of writing it in all scrawly fonts. How have you got to this? this place then, Caelan? Because again, a lot of authors that I speak to don't care about the fonts. They say, well, you know, it has to be submitted in Times New Roman 12 points, so that's what I do. Why are you flip-flopping around between all these different ways of actually writing it?
1: Gosh, what brought me to this point? Um, I think so
2: that sounded very concerned didn't it So <laughs> like, you're on a couch what brought you to this point though
1: i was just thinking that i should be like lying back on a segment <laughs> Um uh, i so my day job as a teacher um and one of the things when you're producing writing for young people to read you want to be aware of the fonts you're using particularly for students who might be like dyslexic um or have you know um visual strain or anything like that so depending on the class and, and young person and so on you you change your fonts to suit um different people or or for the most amount of people that you can um so I suppose um I maybe just kind of like notice what I'm using um more more than other people I also have like a visceral hatred for comic sans um almost all teaching materials are in comic sans and I hate it so much and I always I always take the time to change it so I suppose I'm um, yeah I just kind of Got used to noticing them more and associating them with very strong emotions.
2: Oh, please. I went to school in the late 90s, early noughties. And, you know, fonts had just been discovered and Comic Sans was everywhere. Uh, So you say that you, you know, you change the fonts depending on your mood at the time. Do do you find, I guess, how much of an an impact does the font that you use have in what you're writing? I don't know if this is delving too deep while you're on the chaise lounge. Uh, If you're using, like, quite a quick, sprightly font, do you find yourself writing like that? Can sometimes it be a bit glib and and, uh, light-hearted, I guess?
1: I think it helps with voice, like picking up character voice. Like, I think if I had a young, chatty, sparky kind of character, I probably wouldn't be writing them in Times New Roman. You know what I mean? But if I had uh, a more serious, like, uh, dry professor character, Times New Roman would be perfect. When I was writing the first draft of home, I was working full time, um, finishing off a master's in the evening and had a very young child. So it was bits of writing like here and there, um, just kind of snatching an hour when I could. Luckily, now I'm in a very different situation and I have one day a week um, that I can devote entirely to writing. So I tend to lie in a little bit um and then when i get up i go for a run um come back make a nice lunch and then i will settle myself on the couch maybe try and get like admin and a few emails and bits and bobs out of the way and then try and settle in for a good like i guess like 3ish hours of of writing in the afternoon is there any aim
2: for those 3ish hours do you know where you want to be at the end of it are you working to a word count or something
1: yeah sort of vague word count i'm usually not happy unless to get at least a thousand words, aiming generally for maybe two thousand. um if I hit one thousand five hundred, I'll be happy. I tend to write like scenes or chapters, um, and my chapters in a first draft tend to be one and a half thousand to maybe four thousand at the outside. So I tend to write and try and write like a chapter um each writing session, but that's not always possible.
2: and when it gets to the end of the day, when the chapter the three hours give or take is up. Uh, you'll have a lot more to do. How good are you at switching off?
1: Um, pretty good. Yeah, so sort of have to be. Um, you know, because the other demands of my time. Um, so like the day job and uh, childcare and things like that. Um, so yeah, I think I'm pretty good at, at switching off. And there's always a bit of daydreaming about the story going on in in the background.
2: So this is your kind of writing when you have that full day dedicated to be able to do it. Yeah. So when you have other things going on that week how able are you at uh, dipping in for an hour here and there when you get the chance
1: uh, i've really i really got out of practice of it um since i've had the the full day to write but i've been trying to just get um more comfortable with having little snippets of time lately because I'm, I'm trying to finish off a, a first draft of a book at the moment so i've been like taking my laptop to my kids swimming lesson and like sitting at the table and and kind of trying to get maybe a couple hundred words done in half an hour um, bits and bobs here and there. It's, I find that trickier. I like to have a good bit of time to kind of sink into it. But I think um, I just keep telling myself that whatever nonsense I write, I can fix it in the edit. I just need to get stuff down on the page.
2: So at, at, at the time when you were only really managing to write, does that mean, does that mean you were only really getting things down on that one day a week?
1: Um. When I was writing the first draft of Home, it was just bits here and there. Um, but since I finished the first draft, um, maybe six months after that, I I then started to have this one day a week, um, and then at that point, I kind of just com- um, focused all the writing on that one day. And that was a couple of years ago, so I think uh, I think yeah, I've just got like used to focusing on this this one day for writing. So I'm, I'm trying to get myself back in in the zone that I was in initially, where I just kind of had to grab an hour here and there when I had it well how difficult was that then
2: knowing that you've got kind of a pressure where that like, this is when you were doing the day a week thing uh that you've got this pressure right this is the day when you need to get stuff done and then when you finish it that day you know that you might have another seven days before you can get back into it and then you've got to immediately turn it on again how did you how did you deal with that
1: Um, I think it may have been a piece of advice that I heard on this very podcast. Um, I can't remember who it was, but I think someone suggested that if you if you need to kind of get yourself back into the mode of writing or back into like the headspace of your story, um something you can do is like read the last chapter or the last little bit that you wrote. Um, maybe do some light editing of it and then just kind of carry on. Or the other option, which I used quite a bit with home was uh when you finish, always finish by writing the first sentence of the next section, so you're never looking at a blank page you've always got that first sentence down
2: yeah i was I was wondering that because of the i guess the episodic nature of the way you write scenes and then you might knock it on the head for another few days um i i it, it must it, i was I was wondering if if you did use a method because to 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 finish one scene and then to come back to it and immediately have to get into another one. It must be quite hard to pick up the threads of what you were doing. How much of a challenge was that?
1: Uh, I think using that um, little trick of always writing the first sentence of the next bit before you wrap up, that was really, really helpful Um, because you're still kind of in the mode. You might have spotted like a link to take you to the next chapter. Um, You you might have had like, I'm, I'm really good at having bright ideas, not writing them down and then completely forgetting them. So if I'd had a bright idea... I could like scribble myself a note about, you know, write this in this scene and then when I'd open the laptop I'd be like, oh yeah, that's what I was going to do. So, I think just um yeah, giving yourself a little starting off point uh for the next next session has really been helpful. And
2: just an observation, it's interesting that you so you, you you get up you have a little lay in you go for your run then you make lunch so i don't know how long this lay in is and then uh, <laughs> i won't ask questions you're okay uh, and then and and then you do your your non creative work you do your emails you do your admin which is certainly in in reverse of how i like to get things done of a day and i th- i think other writers kind of like to get up and while they've got the ideas while they've got that creative burst of energy they get it done as early as possible and then leave the tedious things for later on in the day when maybe they're having a lull but you've flipped that on its head is that kind of conscious because you know you work better that way
1: yeah i'm definitely not a morning person um i'm yeah unpleasant to be around first thing in the morning and my brain doesn't kick in until a bit later ideally if i could i would write between the hours of like 11 p.m and 4 in the morning which is what i used to do when i was a youth with no responsibilities um unfortunately now that that would not be possible so I yeah I I kind of I write as late in the day as I can manage I guess because that's when my brain has finally gotten into gear
2: on days when you're finding it a bit trickier when words aren't really coming out but you know you need to get it done uh, uh, what tricks have you learned that help you out I mean some people have a cup of coffee at a certain time some will listen to music what do you do
1: um, I always listen to music. Um, so I have like a uh, playlist that I, I listen to on uh, YouTube. They're kind of, um, like background kind of, uh, quite chill kind of music. Um, so that always, and I tend to only listen to that if I'm, I'm writing. So I think that helps me kind of get, get into the mindset. Um, what else helps having a deadline, just that sheer, like fear, I think <laughs> it helps quite a lot, quite motivating. <laughs>
2: Uh, So you you kind of started off writing short stories and audio dramas and now this is your first, well, full-blown novel. What did you learn about, and and the the writing processes of those by their very nature, because well they they are different. What did you learn from writing home that has maybe influenced the way you'll write future novels?
1: Oh, uh, that's a good question. I guess, like, just tying a story together over you 90,000 plus words, um, is, you know, you have to have scenes which are interesting to read, which add to character, which move the plot forward, um, you know, which are in keeping with the rest of them. And, and it's easy to do like a one plotted, it's not easy, but it's, it's perhaps a, a different thing to do a one uh, quite a contained scene, like in a, a short story. Um, but kind of continuing that on, and showing progression, I guess, over you know ninety thousand to a hundred thousand words is is um, is tricky. I think what was something I learned was that you uh, you can't just have kind of like an A plot line. There kind of needs to be other bits and pieces going on as well in the background that all kind of you know a B possibly a C plot line that all kind of like tie up together. Um, the, and I think that's where other characters come in. Um, so you there those characters. Are kind of starring in their own stories, and they happen to be cameoing in this story, but they have their own thing going on that might be running parallel to your main character. Um, but I think having that sense of like a bigger world and, and other stuff going on that influences the plot, um, but is not the main focus, is something I've taken from, from writing a whole novel. Because um, nothing just happens kind of completely in isolation, you know?
2: Well, let's start. I mentioned the short stories and the audio dramas. Now, I'm sure. Well, I I, I would guess that perhaps this was not your first attempt at writing a full-on novel. Sort of. Why? Well, well, then, please, (laughs) more more power. Then that makes this question even more pertinent. Why have you kind of worked up to it this way? If you were writing, why did you not just jump in with a full 90,000-word? Why kind of almost take these stepping stones of short stories and audio dramas instead of just diving right in?
1: Sure I never thought I would Um, I always thought like uh, no I'm going to write novels Uh, I'm not interested in short stories not interested in anything else and I wrote (laughs) three novels um, or novel length stuff I think they're probably like 70 to maybe skating close to 90,000 words uh, when I was like a teenager and they're locked in a drawer and I might burn them one day I think they're probably really really dreadful Um, but I, yeah, so I'd kinda of written long pieces before and I'd yeah, I'd always just been convinced, like, no, I'm gonna write novels and then uh I kind of in my twenties, I think usually work and life kinda of got in the way and I kinda of thought like, Oh, this is a bit of a crazy dream to go off and, and try and get your writing published. Um, I don't know how we would do that. Um and I kinda of left it behind for a little bit and I got back into it with uh Doing a masters uh, in creative writing, um, which I decided to do because I was like, okay, you know, I'm later, my latest 20s. I, if I'm going to do anything, I'm, I need to do it soon. But I, I, feel like I need some guidance, so I did this masters. And uh, as part of the masters, they they encouraged you to like seek publication for for shorter pieces. Um, it was good good practice, I guess, to be kind of like you know writing in different modes, different skills, have that. Up- opportunity to experience like pitching a story or submitting stuff or engaging with like editors and publications um so that's why I started sending off short stories there um and then again as part of this course one of the the uh tasks we had to do was um try and write in a mode that's completely different to what you usually do so I chose an audio drama um wrote an audio drama Put it in drawer for a while because I had like no nothing to do with it, and then she randomly one day came across this competition and was like, "Oh, I have an audio drama." Fired it off, and and very luckily it, it was it was chosen. So and it got made into a, a, like a full cast production, which was really cool to be a part of. So yeah, it all came out of doing the the MA, I think, which and it was all really useful experience. I'm glad I I'm glad I did it. Why, when you
2: were in your late twenties, as you said, and and you decided that you were going to give this thing a crack? Why did you not do what so many people do, which is just write a story? Why did you feel like you needed the guidance of a master's?
1: Ooh, well, I'm a teacher, so I was probably like, I want, <laughs> I was like, I of faith in educational practice. Um, I think as well, I was like, I, I felt like my writing was, was, was pretty good, but I was like, I know it's not publishable. I was like, I don't think I'm writing something at this stage that's a publishable full length piece. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what I need to do to get better so the thing that really appealed to me about the masters was that there were published writers um leading the course uh the the tutors and lecturers um and I you got feedback from them on your on your manuscript um so I was very lucky there's I went to Glasgow Uni to do it and they were wonderful um and I got lots of really good feedback and guidance from them not just on on writing but they also um, provided you know classes on like the business side of writing um, which was really useful you got connected to other people who were interested in writing in the area and i've kept in touch with those people and we've been kind of like supportive to each other in our, our kind of writing practice so uh yeah that was really helpful
2: hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless
0: does they charge you a lot
2: We'll be back with more from Kaylin in just a second. If you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying Kaylin's steed, and if you've learned anything along the way that has really helped you out, we've done, what, almost 250 episodes of this thing now (laughs) over the last, I don't know, countless years. (laughs) Best not to get into that. We've done a lot of episodes. If you've enjoyed it at all, if you've learned anything along the way that it's helped the way that you tell your stories, how you set up your day, how you set up your workspace, if there's just been a little tidbit that's tweaked things for you and really helped it out, uh, you can say thanks for that basically. You can uh, help us carry on bringing you these chats as often as we can with some of the best authors around. All you need to do to help us out and support us is by becoming a backer at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. By helping us out on Patreon, you get Our eternal thanks. There is merch. There is bonus content. There is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. So if you've learned anything along the way, if you'd like us to keep on doing this, to us to keep on bringing you these chats as often as we can with all types of authors from all around the world telling loads of different stories, you can help that carry on by helping out the show and backing us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's get back to it then with Kaylin Steed chatting about their new novel, Home. It's all about Zoe, who after managing to escape a cult years ago, has to go back and rescue her sister from it too. In this part, we talk about the different timelines of the story, how much Kaylin plotted them through, also how much they thought about genre, and let's jump in properly talking about the idea. They first had it way back when they were growing up, and it's changed a lot since then, but when did the idea first come to Kaylin?
1: The first half of it was not planned out at all. Um, it's a story I'd been writing in various forms since I was like 13, like a super, super early draft of one of the chapters, which doesn't exist in, in the final book anymore um, and, and was quite different in a lot of ways, was something I like gave to my English teacher when I was about 14, Um obviously changed a lot in the interim like uh I think when I was 14 I was writing about like a secret government training assassins thing (laughs) which which I thought at the time was like very likely and realistic um so it's changed quite a lot but uh yeah I initially was just kind of like writing scraps of it here and there it was it was very like hobby um kind of writing I hadn't planned it I was just sit down and write a chapter every so often um and then Uh, A few years ago, I think I I'd started looking for competitions or like novel prizes that you could send unpublished or unagented manuscripts to. And there was one that you didn't have to have a finished manuscript sent to, which was very appealing to me. And, uh, but you did have to have a very detailed synopsis. So I think it was like, send the first, oh, however many thousand words. And then like, it was like a 10 page synopsis they wanted. So it was really detailed. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to come up with a synopsis. So I just sat down and planned the rest of it uh, as part of the application for this prize, which I got nowhere with, but I did come out with a really detailed synopsis. So the second half of it was super planned. And then obviously in the rewrite and the edits, it changed quite a quite significantly then and, and that was much more thought out.
2: It's interesting what you're saying about your, what you were writing as, as a kid, what you think those books are about i remember writing when i was young and you are focused on kind of worldwide conspiracies yet when when you get older it narrows down like like someone like louise canlish's books or for instance or a lot more psychological thrillers it's all to do with uh kind of little conspiracies actually in the home i I was just kind of pondering how that's it's funny that that always works out um listen so you had to kind of plan the second half of the story. M- moving on, uh, not that I constantly want to talk about <laughs> your like later works. Um, ha- has that side of it, planning it, has that affected how you might plan future novels? Will you will you plot them a bit more, or are you happy again to just dive in and see what happens?
1: I have plotted the one I'm working on now. I did I did sit and, and plot out um, in broad strokes more, so I knew I knew the ending when I sat down to start it and with home, I had no idea what the ending would be. So that's quite different. So yeah, um, I don't plan out like, I don't do like chapter by chapter outlines um, in that much depth, but I do, I guess I kind of like an arc. So, you know, this character starts here and they end up here. Um, This is the situation at the start. This is how it changes. And this is where we are by the end. Um, So yeah, I have, I did start by, by plotting My current one out uh, in in more detail, for sure.
2: And when you were writing Home, at the start, when you were almost, you know, you were busking it, you were just writing chapter on chapter, at what point did you realise what would happen next?
1: Oh, it just kind of happened, I think. I read a interview, it was an interview, Stephen King, it might have been in his book on writing where he talks about how he feels like writing is not making something up, but it's like discovering something, almost like um, excavating a, a fossil, you know? Like you're brushing away dirt and, and something is there, but it's it's there fully and intact. And writing feels a lot like that for me. I kind of, I feel like I'm kind of like feeling along the shape of something that exists in its entirety already, in a way. Um, so it doesn't feel like I'm making it up. It just feels like I'm kind of discovering it as I go. I think I'd seen a film that had a little kid being taught to shoot a gun by a an adult, and that gave me the whole the government's training assassins idea, <laughs> which is not in the book now. But the, that idea of children who had been removed from reg- regular society and were in a completely different, like little bubble society where there were different rules. It was very harsh. It was very strict. That's something that's continued um so i think that that idea of just i love the idea of like people existing in in different worlds um so someone you walk past on the street has a completely different existence to you because actually they've you know grown up in this um very remote place and they see the world in a different way and i just love exploring that idea of of how different people experience the world
2: how did that then move on to not be uh, a teenage story about governments and assassins to to something well, I, I, yeah, I guess a bit more real. This is it's a tale of cults and, and sisters, and it happens again, as you said, across many times. How did it become that? What was the switch to make it more about uh, these two girls?
1: Um, I think. I think it's partly like what you're saying. Like, you know, when you're young, you you know, all these kind of like vast conspiracies seem very plausible um, and fascinating. And, and as you get older, you do maybe concentrate more on the, the smaller, the more personal, the more realistic. Um, so uh, the idea of a, a, a cult um, being very secretive and isolated seemed a bit more likely, I suppose. Um, I think I was also, I'd moved to Ireland um, and I was teaching in... A number of schools around Dublin, and some of the schools were were quite religious schools, and I'd never taught in a religious school before. And I think some of that came into some of the early drafts uh, of home with, like you know, the sisters and the the kind of very very strict kind of formal schooling, um, which which isn't like any of the schools I was actually in, but it kind of you know prompted off that that idea of um, having everything um, controlled by this kind of religious group you know your education your even you know what times you get up what times you go to sleep just every every aspect of your life um and I think that was that was probably inspired by a little bit by my my experiences when I was living in Ireland
2: and I guess quite open-endedly when you were sitting down writing this as an adult what came next for you so you had this initial idea of uh kind of the, the the girls being separated one sister leaving and then having to go back What happened next when you had that initial idea before you started tapping away that first sentence?
1: Um, Like I said, I'm sort of like a discovery writer and it's gone through a lot of iterations over the years. So I'm not sure I remember that clearly. I think, especially for the early stuff, I would just sit down and and not even have a clear idea of how a scene would end. I would just sit down and kind of write and just see what came out. Um, So certainly in the early stages, I I don't know if there was something as clear as here's a specific idea or a specific Specific prompt or a specific inspiration it was just kind of taking the sort of general vibes of an idea um this idea of very restricted very controlled environment with a young girl in it and just kind of seeing where that went
2: how much did you think about the characterization if if you're revisiting well if you're exploring a character's journey across two very different timelines how much did you think about the difference between two ages of zoe uh, how being in a cult might have affected her how much did you think and, and her leaving the impact that had how much did you think about those two strands of her character and, and making them different
1: uh quite a lot with the early cult stuff especially for um the fact that their education would be very limited and um, they were mostly getting educated in these sort of like you know spurious like scriptures um so things like I thought quite a lot about like what words would she know, you know, if she was trying to express something, what what metaphors would she have heard? What what language would she have heard? How would she express, you know, shock? Um she wouldn't swear, you know, like we, we might expect uh a more normal kid to do. Um she would have a more not necessarily a limited range of vocabulary. She'd just have different vocabulary, like maybe a bit more or fashioned or archaic words. Um, but also there's some things she'd never experienced. She'd never seen a shop. She'd never seen money. She'd never been inside a car um, for most of her her young life. So when she does finally experience these things, she doesn't really have words or concepts for them. She doesn't have words for, like, parts of her body because that's a very taboo subject, um, which obviously limits her in what she can express um, about herself. So, yeah, that kind of characterization, thinking about the way that language can limit your ability to express yourself. That was a really interesting thing to explore for her younger self.
2: And uh, you're writing in a, by nature of what you're writing, it will be a a genre. How much were you thinking about other stories that fall into the genre, things that you needed to do, kind of plot points that you needed to hit to make it open to, to readers, especially after studying creative writing? It might have been more kind of acute for you than many others.
1: Um, the genre I didn't I didn't think about while I was writing it. I wasn't sure what genre it would fit into. Um I just thought sort of like broadly commercial fiction maybe. Um but then when we were uh querying and kind of sending it off to different publish houses, it got picked up by Raven Bloomsbury and they are a Crime and Thriller um publisher and this wonderful editor, uh, Sarah Helen Binney at the start, who um really like helped with the the kind of original kind of getting the the story um brushed up and one of the things that she was was really her influence was um getting that pace of a thriller um so we ended up uh, the first thing she asked me to do was cut twenty thousand words off the start and I like I almost fainted I was like oh god um but it actually it was it was a really brilliant decision because it just got got straight into the story the action starts straight away and then that pace kind of keeps up and and starts to increase towards the end. And I think that's that's one of the things that's come out in in some early reviews. People have said they they really like the pace, and and a lot of that is to do with with her influence and, and kind of putting that thriller aspect to the the genre in with with the edit.
2: I'm always fascinated by the voice that it's written in. Now you've you've chosen for for, well, for most of this first person. We're, we're following the narrative very very closely. Was that always? could another voice do you think work with this type of story when you're immediately in there, you're with the character following exactly what they're doing? Was it always the case that first person would be the choice for you?
1: Yeah. Like for this story, the, the character is very limited and restricted. Pressed um, as a child, because they have this like very restricted um, oppressive society, bubble society almost that she she lives in as part of this very isolated cult. And, um, So having a first-person point of view really gets across those limitations. She doesn't understand everything she hears. She isn't privy to everything that's going on. Um, Though as the reader, you can kind of piece things together more than than she as a child can. Um, And then as an adult, she's restricted because she's repressed some of these old memories. She um, has blocked out things that have happened to her. She she still lacks understanding of some things that have happened. So again, that first-person voice... um, kind of gets across that sense of restriction and limitation
2: and lastly maybe quite randomly i was flicking through the book and i've always wondered about this but never asked of it one of the first things you read when you open it up is a a, a snippet uh, a quote from the writer mary Alstoncraft that says no man chooses evil because it is evil he only mistakes it for happiness the good that he seeks um at what point does that Come into it for you these these quotes that you often see at the start of 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 novels, maybe from a poem does that is that something you're thinking about the whole way through that you're basing a lot of your themes on or is it something you've read after the fact that you think oh that fits in quite nicely how does that process work
1: <laughs> um I think because part of the character the adult character's introduction to life outside of the cult um in the adult strand part of that is being introduced to like like literature um and books um by her sort of like mentor character and uh so I was kind of on the lookout for I was like okay what if I was presented with this kid who you know had no idea about life like what would I give them to read what would I expose them to and so obviously I went for hardcore feminist theory <laughs> um as a as an initial option there's that and Orlando mentioned um and then you know, like Treasure Island as well, like Adventure and the High Seas, and and things like that. Um, so I wanted to think about okay, what are some like foundational texts you might expose someone to, and and how might a person from that background react to them? And I thought Mary Wollstonecraft's um, writing, and particularly that piece, is is a really interesting one because it's it's not necessarily it's not necessarily that aspect of that that quote. The, the character engages with but elsewhere in in the text she reads that quote uh, comes in and it's it's just an interesting one because i suppose the question a lot of people have about cults is like you know how do people end up doing these mad things and it's because no one thinks they're doing anything bad people always think they're doing things for the right reasons everyone does um it'd be very hard to do something if you believed you were doing it for the wrong reasons or you believed you were doing something terrible so i think that quote's just just really interesting you know everyone thinks that they're doing something for an ultimate good
2: and that is it for this week with Kaylen steed that brand new novel is home it's out next week you can grab a copy pre-order it now head down to your local shop whatever it takes Give it a read. Uh, Next week on the show, we'll have another fantastic author sharing their working day with you, where, when, and how they work. In the meantime, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. We're on Twitter as well, at writerspod there. Get in contact with the show. Use use the form at writersroutine.com and I will see you next week with another writer's routine. Until then, Bye.